0: We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi,
1: everyone. Laurie McDougal back on coming up for air. Um, today we have a um, we have some co-hosts. Dominique Simon Levine um, is here as well as Kayla Solomon. I'm sure that everybody knows no no big introduction needed. Um, Hopefully all of our listeners know Dominique is the creator of Allies in, in Recovery and Kayla Solomon is a licensed clinician and she has been trained in craft and she has a wonderful support group that our listeners can access through the Allies website. Um, and we are here to have a um, a wonderful, a, a really interesting conversation. I think, as a family member, as a person who has experience with a loved one with substance use disorder, this is probably one of the um, one of the most important conversations we can have, and also one of the most difficult things a family member uh, we'll have in understanding as well as, um, actively learning how to do. So I'm going to just kind of pass it off, um, to, uh, uh Kayla <laughs> and, uh, Kayla, why don't you kind of like dive into the topic?
2: Okay. So, so- For some of us, it's the cognitive behavioral model, but it's basically the idea with this model of uh, addressing what you think. That's what this is about. So if you look at what you think, that affects everything. It affects how you feel. It affects how you behave. And as I like to say, it affects the story you make up. So many, many, many of us live in a story. And so we are reacting to a story rather than the facts that are happening. So one thing happens, and I like to call it first thought, second, second thought. We all have no control over our first thought. None. We, I've been thinking about this for years. It's a reaction. And uh, the example I like to give is somebody does something and you have this thought, oh, my God, I'm going to kill you. And if you think about that being your first thought, if you have a second thought that goes along with that and stays on that thought, there will be a lot of dead people on this planet, um, especially our loved ones. So thank God we have the ability to change our second thought. And so we're doing it all the time, but we don't notice it. So what, what the cognitive behavioral work is about is starting to really notice your thoughts, see them be able to look at them, be able to understand them. And then you go from this reflexive automatic reaction that's unconscious to actually being able to have a choice. And this is the hardest thing that all of us have to do because the reflexive action is old and it's familiar and it feels like it's right, but it's not, it's just familiar. And familiar does not mean that it works. So, so the work Really, and I mean it work because it's it's a practiced behavior, which is noticing your thoughts. And the other thing about cognitive behavior that you all we all need to look at is it's based on um, a belief system that we develop. So one of the things that we talked about in the group this past week is identity. okay? And so if you're a parent, if you're a partner, if you're um, the uh, the child of somebody who's using, or a loved one you have a story a belief system about what that means what's your role what's your responsibility if that person does something how are you going to feel because of your responsibility for that person so that's one of the stories you need to break down is like what how what's my responsibility for this other person's actions and that's a thought that the the thought that you have of, okay, if this is the, my belief is that I'm in control of that person. And if anything bad happens to them, it's my fault. That's a story that you've made up because when you break it down, that's absolutely totally not real. So I will it, stop talking.
1: No, this is, um, so we actually, we talk about this in, in our meetings as well in rest. And, um, I always bring it back to module seven. And I, um, in my experience, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I truly, and I wholeheartedly believe everything you've said and, and, um, how we have looked at it is we have an event. We use like these arrows. We have an event, something happens, it triggers a thought. And, and we we've a, we ask ourselves, you know, how much control do I have over that thought? Well, actually, none, right? Because just, just what you said, it's like this preconceived ideas and beliefs that are alwe- already built into my brain. Um, then there are feelings that follow that. And how much control do I have over those feelings? Well, those immediate feelings, almost none, because... <laughs> That's brought on by the thought that I had, and that typically um, there's a reaction, right? We have these emotions, and then it's like, oh, I want to get rid of these emotions, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, react, right? And the whole goal is to change the situation or have some kind of control over the situation. And we talk about, you know, um, trying to find space, trying to find a break right? Try, so that I'm not reacting. Um, so I, I, I understand what you're saying when you say um, noticing your thoughts, um, because I often will say, if I can bring it back to my thoughts and, and let them take me over, I know this is going to sound crazy, but let it all take me over. Let my thoughts take me over. Let my emotions take me over, but don't react to what's going on. Don't try and make it all go away. And then if I can just get a break and then kind of let it wash over me, then it kind of starts to settle and calm down and I can start to think about um, other things that I can do until I can come up with a good thought in a logical response so that I'm responding to the situation and that break that in between time could be a couple of minutes. It could be a couple of hours. It could be the night. It could be even a couple of days before I respond, depending on the situation, of course. Um, and there's a few, there's a few things that I have found that, um, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, but there's a few things that I have found that come up when when doing this. When I first started doing this, I thought that this would make my really difficult bad feelings and emotions kind of go away. That that was the goal. That I would uh, that the goal is um, that it's going to kind of it's going to make. The bad feelings go away and good feelings are going to come in. And I learned over time that actually the bad feelings are going to stay. They're just going to get dimmed. Um, I'm not going to feel all flowery and wonderful. It's just going to get dimmed and it's going to allow me to come up with a better response to the situation, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I I, I, and yes, I completely understand what you're saying. It's like, and I think the story that if I do anything, I'm going to feel fabulous, I think is ridiculous because we don't have control over that. So I think then you set yourself up for a great disappointment. I'm going to be the Dalai Lama. I'm going to be peaceful, whatever. That's not the goal here. The goal is if you're especially if you're dealing with a loved one that has continued um, difficult behavior, you're in a lousy situation. So it's like this constant irritant at the very least, and I'm being very minimizing of it, but it's a scary situation. So what happens is you're not, it, the goal is not that you're going to be like sitting there, you know, like, oh, life is good. Everything's great. I'm fine. Cause that's not real either. It's more that the first thought is, oh my God, and it, goes, it sends you into catastrophe, okay? Right. And if you think about what happens when you're in catastrophic mode, you're actually at your least effective because right. you're, you're responding to the lion um, in the primitive days, which is what all of this is about, is how are you gonna deal with the lion? Um, and all of our internal systems are built to get us away from the lion. You know, are you gonna run? Are you gonna hide? Are you gonna scream, whatever? Um, and that and we're built in as primitive people because we still are um, to like do to respond to that. The problem, if you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with substance use is that you're li- you're living with a lion. <laughs> right. And so it's like, OK, if I'm living with the lion, then how do I calm my system down enough to be able to not be drinking and eating battery acid every day because you can't live with this. The lion is supposed to be a momentary response. You're supposed to respond and be okay and go on with your life and then life's supposed to calm down. If you live with the lion or worried about the lion all the time, your system is on hyper reactivity.
1: Right. High cortisol is levels. Your cortisol—they're
2: off, off the charts, and it—and twenty-four-seven. That's why people are exhausted, and that's why right. you feel like you know you can't go on and you can't focus on yourself, and there is no self. And by the way, another topic one day that we have to think about is how to put yourself in to your story. So, because part of what happens is if, like, when I ask people how they're doing in the group, the first thing they do is tell me how their their loved one is doing. Yep. Yep. Number one lion response. Okay, the lion is sitting with me. The lion has done this. Blah, blah. Ah! So you you start freaking out. So part of it is where you focus gets it becomes bigger. It's like in the big book. They, it's um doctor alcoholic addict. It's a ba- basically what you put your focus on gets larger. So if you're focused on this per right. other person and what they do, you are already dysregulated.
1: Right. Automatically. Right. Right. And that's the catastrophizing, right? That's the, right. I can't do this anymore. Well, actually you can, because you are, Uh, this is horrible. This is the worst thing in the world. This is right. This is, uh, it's the shoulds. It's the never, it's never going to get better. I'm never going to feel, you know, uh, uh, like a human again, Uh, you know?
2: Yeah. And that's a story, right? That's a story. So, that's why I talk about the story. If you're making up this globalized negative story that is uncontrollable, you absolutely are going to feel bad. So you're part of what the first thought, second thought is, is go back, 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 back. And so the story is, oh my God, that my, my person's going to die, which is really what all this story is about. It is. That's yep. the other. And so if that's your focus, then you're thinking about nothing but horribleness. And so you have to pull yourself back. And one of the things that I do all the time, both with my clients that are using and and their loved ones, is there's a tremendous amount of strength in the person who's using the substances. Like when I think, okay, I'm going to live on the street and I'm going to live in a crack house, I'm like, oh, my God, I couldn't do that. They're like thinking and scheming and figuring and manipulating all the things that drive you crazy about them is their strength. So it's like they're they're still taking care of business. And I look at it from the strengths perspective. It's like if you if I look at my person, like, I don't know how they're still alive after all this time. That to me is strength. So if I'm looking at how powerful they are to keep going in this lifestyle, I also see their strength and not just their vulnerability and the fact that they could die any minute, which is a story. Because how come they're not dead yet? They should be. Actually okay. the evidence
3: the evidence is against them, right? So far they haven't died. And and one of the ways to try and stop those distortions, the ever's, nevers, black and white thinking, the shoulds and all of those, um, is it, it, it is is that ability to immediately catch yourself, which is so incredibly hard. I don't think either one of you has even
1: begun yeah, and, to
3: teach the Depth of difficulty of what you're talking about. Yeah. I know for me, I, I abused. I used substances for many years. I, I, I had enough trauma in my upbringing that by the time I was, you know, in my twenties, um, and I, some, I saw a psychiatrist who gave, me, and I, into my thirties actually, after I don't know 15 years in 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 AA, um, I, I got a, I got an antidepressant that actually slowed me down enough to notice that there could be a pause. And I was in my mid-30s. So and, and and I'm a person with addiction. I'm a person with mental illness. I'm a person with trauma history. And so I'm very, I, I, I always see people like myself as super vulnerable and super super fragile. So many of us are, right? And so what we're talking about, you're talking about the family member and I'm just gonna have you shift over and recognize how hard that is to do when you don't have any skill, you don't have any tools, you're down to just your drugs and your reactivity, creating your world. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very difficult place to be and how hard it is to learn about that pause and, and Kayla, is right. instrumental in, and, in, in that first thought, second thought and the way you do it in, in your rest groups to help us break it down. I have, I have one question though, that's always bothered me. What is this trust your gut thing? Where is the gut in all this?
2: I don't believe in it. Oh, oh, I don't oh, believe oh. In I'm going to challenge.
1: I'm going to challenge you ladies a little bit here. I like your point, Dominique. Um, I like your point of um, and family members um, or loved ones and friends that are around the person. We're watching the same thing happen to them when they're freaking out because they're craving a substance and they will do anything they can to get to whatever it is that will make them feel better and they know it. So it makes sense that their response is to lie, cheat, steal, flip out, blame you, do right? We're watching it right in in action but we're not recognizing it. That that's what that's exactly what's happening, right? they, the event is, oh my God, I'm going into withdrawal. All I can do is go and get that substance to make myself feel better. It it could, it could be, it could be anything, right? It could be going into withdrawal. It could be a death of a friend. Oh my God, my friend died. The only thing that will make me feel better is to go and have the substance and they'll go and use, right? So we watch it happen all the time without any recognition, but I'm also going to go and challenge you on a couple of things. So I'm going to tell you right now that in my case, Kayla, (laughs) in my case, um, I did see my son die and I saw him die multiple times. So that is a part of my story. That's trauma. That trauma. And so, I don't care what um, someone tells me or for me to be able to overcome that was, was uh, I wouldn't even say it was a mountain. It was, you know, it was like, it was like put another planet in my way um, to overcome. And I saw it multiple times. Um, It wasn't just one time. So Um, and especially early, you know, right after it happened, whenever there was a situation, you're putting me right back to, um, you know, finding my son, um, and asking me to overcome that and stop, um, catastrophizing or to, it was an, it would be an impossible, impossible task. And I'll be honest and I'll tell you this. I did not think I strongly, um, did not believe that I had the ability to control things. I, I believe there was a little bit of an illusion there, but I knew deep down that I was not going to be able to control it. And that also was a part of my frustration.
2: Your son or yourself?
1: My, uh, uh, um, the situation. Mm -hmm. Right. I knew that I wasn't, I knew, I knew heroin is not, you know, how do you stop someone from using heroin? And that was, that was just from watching movies and, you know, and reading about it in the news and, you know, knowing that, boy, I've got a monster in front of me. And I really knew that I wasn't going to be able to, um, to stop that. And just that Frustration alone was so difficult to overcome, so that I could do. And I, I hate to, I'm going to put it in quotes, the best thing, because me, because sometimes I think, well, maybe in the moment I needed to protect myself, I just wasn't able to to get over this mountain. Um, I needed, maybe I needed space from the trauma. For yeah. a while right before I could do it if that makes sense
2: uh, see the, the, the what you're saying is an essential fact here, which is that every single person that's dealing with a loved one that's abusing um, or using substances has trauma and what I want to do is I think that's a brilliant point here trauma hijacks your brain, okay trauma is this place that's stuck in your brain that goes in a loop and The torture of it is that literally, if you think of it as a circle, the button gets pressed and you play, 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 play. You play the scene over and over and over and over and over in your head. That's exactly the definition of trauma. And it it plays out in your central nervous system and it plays out in your emotions and it plays out in your thoughts and your reactivity. Because once you have any kind of trigger to that trauma, you're literally immersed in it as though it's happening right now, even when it's not. Yep. Even when it's not, there's just a suggestion that gets the play button pushed and you're back in and it could be, they're not home. Okay. They're dead. They're lying. I got to, you know, I need to save their life.
1: Still happens today. Still happens today. And so,
2: so the way to think about this, and this is different than cognitive behavioral because trauma is not treated with cognitive behavioral. Trauma is treated through your central nervous system. OK, because literally your central nervous system dysregulation cannot your the, your thoughts have. And I probably people who are CBT specialists believe that 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 your thoughts affect everything and you can control that. That's not been my experience. I believe that if you have trauma, the more and I'm this a crazy thing to say, but that that you have to get trauma based therapy to be able to let your body live with this and the trauma-based therapies are emdr Mm -hmm. somatic experiencing brain spotting um the the there's a counting there's one of the counting things and there's all kinds of trauma therapies which by the way is really what's needed for the person who's using as well because if that if if their central nervous system could be dealt with directly they actually that's that's what you were saying dominique it's like you're using to shut something off and if your body could be dealt with directly, because that's why I don't always believe in like some of the um, treatment programs. If they're just, you know, getting people to stop, that doesn't touch anything. It's like you stop so that you can go deeper. Right.
1: Right. My son, my son said um, a year out and, and I, I kind of understand, like I've heard this, this term white knuckling, about a year that he was without substances he came to me and he said now it, it started surfacing and he said now i remember why i started using exactly. and it was like okay okay right okay so now we need help for we need to get some help for this because this is the stuff this is it this is the stuff that you, we need to find a way to or not we, he needs to find a way to deal with and, and, and settle with. But I, I thank you for that because, because when we, when we talk about it in rest, I often say this is where I did go and get help. I probably didn't get enough help that I needed um, because I have not had EMDR. I've not had the brain spotting or any of that. And it's still, you know, the, like my son and I can't talk about those moments because the two of us just, you know, we're having this shared experience and, and we don't want to, we're like, right. Ugh. Um, so we don't sit well with it. But I also, and I'll also tell you the first time I started doing this cognitive behavioral um, stuff um, where I was following module seven, I was like, Oh, here it is. Here it is. You know, he took off for the weekend on me and I knew, I knew what he was doing. And, um, the first thing I did was, was module seven. Okay. Let it come in, let it flow into your body. You're going to feel miserable. This is a awful situation. You should feel awful. You should have awful thoughts. You should have awful feelings. And then, and then it was like, okay, okay. And then I, I talked to myself. I always will say I have an inner voice, but actually it's more of an outer voice because (laughs) I actually say the words. Um, And my husband, I remember my husband standing there, like watching me as I'm talking to myself. And I said, okay, Laurie, there is really, you know, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, if he is, if he is dead. And I really, really, cons- I often will, I went to the worst possible yep. situation because I felt like I needed to address that first, right? And so it was like, okay, if he's dead, he's he's not going to answer his phone or anything like that. And you can start falling apart right here, right now, um, and spend hours sobbing and crying and pacing the floor and flipping out and doing all of this stuff. And then you'll be absolutely exhausted in the morning, and you still won't know. And you can't do anything. You can do nothing. You can't even start making arrangements for a funeral because you don't know, right? Or you can get on the couch with a pillow, turn the TV on, try and get some sleep. And if you wake up because you're having nightmares, you can turn your attention to the TV and try and go back to sleep. You can get up in the morning. You can eat a breakfast. You can, right. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, in that moment, ah, I, I'm talking about taking care of myself. This is what everybody's talking about yes. when they say take care of yourself. Right. right. And, um, and I'm glad I, I, I went that way. I, and I also considered, I, I was like, okay, You why don't you do that? Why don't you get on the couch? Then that way you won't have the crying and the flipping out. You won't be exhausted and give yourself permission that when the police show up at the door, whatever time they show up at, you can go ahead and you can fall apart. Then you can go ahead and you can do it.
2: And what you just described, Lori, is the story. Okay. (laughs) so the story is they're dead. So you spend the weekend with their dead. Okay, And then he walks in on Monday. So you have two choices on Monday. Either he walks in or the police walk in. And so to me, it's like, how do you say, "Okay, I'll find out on Monday if he's dead. And right now I'm going to assume he's alive. So he's alive. He's doing a mess, whatever messy thing he's doing. But he's alive. And the other thing that I believe in, and this is just a personal thing, which is that this is I think that we think that we're God or some higher power, or we're in charge of everything, that we're gonna be able to control the, them enough that we're gonna save their lives. So we're superheroes. And, and truthfully, like I sit in the group and I'm like, wow, I've never seen more resources, skills, like brilliance. And I sit in the group, I'm like, my God, you know, you guys are the, they're like, they ask me questions. I'm like, you're the experts. But what happens is that we always tell a negative story and our story is like, how can I go in and save that person right now? Which that's the part that makes no sense because you don't even know where he is. Like you're going to ping him or have him on that 360 app where you can find him. The What happens is that I believe that at some point, the letting go part of it is what we need to focus on. So I remember years ago, were, my partner wasn't home and I'm like, oh my God, she's dead on a highway. She's not answering her phone. And she, she said, okay, I want you to imagine whatever this higher power you believe in. And again, it's not about God. It's not about like you have to believe in something specific. It's that you're not the end of the story. There's something bigger than you, the universe, the stars whatever. We're part of something larger. And she said, imagine that there's this gigantic hand with a gigantic comforter on it and that you put your loved one in that comforter and you fold up the comforter and they're in the hand of this larger entity that's not you and that that is your way of keeping them safe. And I will tell you that that calmed my, it gave me something to visualize. It gave me something to calm my system down. It gave me something to do because that's part of the problem. If you're in your thoughts that are negative, you're just ramping yourself up. I I hear
1: you, but I can also, I can also tell you that in it just through my own experience, um, you couldn't convince me he wasn't dead like you, you there, there was no way that you could have convinced okay me. and um and in fact uh, oddly enough my husband and i uh, my husband and i had a meeting with our with our family counselor and i said to him i know he's dead and he and he tried he was like had you don't know and i was like no i i know and you can't tell me otherwise and i was wrong right He, he survived, but, um, I you, you couldn't in that moment, but maybe that's what I needed because it was like, I did calm myself down and I did, you know, um, I I just dealt with it as best I could. And I knew I, I'm not going to be able to get in contact with him. He's not, he's not going to hear me. And I considered things that were crazy, like, um, manipulative things that I could do. Right. Like I'll send him pictures of his puppy and make him feel bad that the dog is here alone without him. Right. And maybe he'll come home. And I said, no, that's, you know, I, I just started saying, okay, that's ridiculous. It's not going to work. It's going to make him feel worse. It's not, you know, and, and so I kind of like talked myself down from these crazy things and actually doing it actually helped me to um, to understand uh, um, uh, alternative thoughts if that makes sense yes. like other things that could be happening and so when I woke up it was like, oh you know what I'm not gonna do any of those crazy things you know I am gonna send him a message and my message was um, I'm not gonna my message was, uh, non-confrontational, but letting him know that I know what's going on. So I just said, Hey, I know I can't change what's happened. I wish you'd just call me, say hi, and then hang up on me just, just to make me feel better. And then, and that was it. And he did, he called me later and it was, you know, it was like, okay, well just come home, you know, and, uh, and we'll figure out what needs to be done next. But, you know, I, and we, I kind of did, put it in his hands when he came home because it was let, you know, what am I going to do? He had a, he had a relapse or a, or a lapse or um, whatever it is you want to call it a bump or whatever it is. Um, But then, This is a great conversation and we need to have more of this. We need to really dig in more uh, because I don't think we even got to Dominique's actual question as well.
2: About the gut, which is a different story.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the gut. And um, I believe in the gut. (laughs) Kayla doesn't. I believe in it. I don't. Yeah. Um, Okay. So thank you. Um, This was great. We're going to have some more conversations in the future.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Thanks, Kayla.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Michael Mauboussin for the original music composition.